Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Welcome to the Great Women in Compliance Podcast with Lisa Fine and Mary Shirley. I'm Mary Shirley, and today I'm pleased to bring back something that we haven't had in a little while. Yes, our two-part series feature, and we've got Sonia Zeladon from Hershey uh, Chocolate mm, uh, with us today, and uh, she will start us off with episode one, and we hope that you'll join us next time for episode two, so keep your eyes peeled for that one. So I'd love to welcome you today, Sonia. Please, will you tell us a little bit about your background? Yes, thank you, Mary. Thank you so much for inviting me to your podcast. Um, I have been a listener for some time and I've been following you guys. So I'm very, very honored that you have invited me to have a chat with you. So thank you so much. Oh, so my you. name is so thank you. My name is Sonia Zeladon. And at the moment I run the compliance and privacy programs at the Hershey Company. So I've been up at this um, since October of twenty nineteen. So not that very long and right uh right before uh, the pandemic. So been really, really busy. So I have been you know, developing and putting and building um, from what they had, both the compliance and privacy programs here at Hershey. And to ensure from the compliance perspective that we're meeting our DOJ and SEC standards and guidelines. And, um, and then from the privacy side that we are complying with all the new privacy laws that are coming on like the CCPA and the GDPR and all the other privacy regulations around the world where we uh, where we have offices and, and facilities. So mm -hmm. both programs, um, you know, I have to think about them from a strategic um, mind frame and trying to, you know, how to mirror, mirror them and, and ensure that we are um, doing the best that we can as a, as a company. On a personal note, I'm also on the board of the Hispanic National Bar Association. At the moment, I am vice chair of the Corporate Council Division and the Latina Commission, which is um, something that's very dear to me. They, you know, the Latina Commission was established to remedy the status of Latinas in the legal profession, who, um, when it was established over 10 years ago, and still suffer the lowest representation of any racial and mm. ethnic group um, mm -hmm. in the legal profession in the U.S. So th th those are very, very important um, uh, things that I that I care about and I devote uh, free time with. It. But I'm leaving those two behind now. Uh, that this September, the incoming president of the HMBA had asked me to to be their um, general counsel. So that's going to be doing that. Uh, uh, you know, as part of my commitment to to diversity in the legal profession. Wonderful. I love that. And, and Lisa and I are really strong supporters um, of, of representation of minorities uh, in the legal and compliance areas. So thank you so much for all of the work and commitment that you've put towards, as you say, such a, a very important issue. And um, I, I know that you're going to be keeping very busy um, and and furthering your commitments uh, in the time to come. So we will be keeping an eye out on you and um, we hope that if there's anything that we can do to support you and your work, um, that you won't hesitate to ask. Oh, thank you. That's awesome. And um, Sonia, you work for what I would say is a pretty desirable company as one of the world's best known chocolate brands. Uh, you mentioned very specifically some of the hot topic areas of data privacy a moment ago. 
What are some of the specific risks that you're on the lookout for at the Hershey Company? Yeah, you know, there, there are a couple of risks from the in the food industry in general. But what mm-hmm. makes Hershey very unique, and I didn't know this until coming into the company, that um, you know, the purpose of of doing good and goodness was it's been ingrained and embedded in in the company since its inception uh, um, 125 years ago by Milton Hershey. So they so it helps having a company with really strong ethics, um, you know, to kind of head on the risks that come from being a multinational corporation, right? But but what I want the listeners to kind of hear is a really interesting story about the company that a lot of people don't know, right? That the company was built with a purpose. With corporate philanthropy being at its core, even before it became popular, right, in the last mm. couple of decades, right? So mm-hmm. it was, so, you know, the founder was, was focused on doing well by doing good. And it has cascaded, you know, throughout the 125 years, even our own CEO now starts all the conversations and, and all of her, um, uh, you know, when she, when she addresses the town halls and those things, we're trying to bring it to the goodness, to, you know, the goodness that, mm-hmm. that Milton Hershey built for the company, which was, um, you know, philanthropy and doing good and being purpose driven. Um, a lot of people don't know that the company was built with one mission, which was to support the children of the Milton school. And mm-hmm. to this day, 20, 125 years later, um, a, you know, a portion of every chocolate bar that you buy goes to the Milton Hershey school. Wow. So it's, it's, you know, so I've given you that kind of like that backdrop to kind yeah. of um, understand, you know, the, 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 the culture of the company mm-hmm. uh, at its core. And then when we're looking at risk, uh, we kind of see, uh, you know, third, like any, like a, mo- a lot of companies in the food industry or even in the supply chain, it's it's third parties, right? And and for us, and for us, it's soup to nuts, you know, from from sourcing the materials that make, you know, our products uh, to carrying that materials across continents, you know, to the packaging, and then to, uh, you know, to, to where they get to the consumers, right? Uh, dis- distributors, all that. It's it's. Mm, predominantly handled by third parties. And those are, as you know, and, and for most companies, you know, the, the biggest risk. And, and you, add mm. the, you add the complexity of, of having that all over the world, then, um, then that's what, that's what we, we really try to, um, to mitigate as much as we can. Now, that's really interesting, and it must have been a dream come true for a compliance professional to walk into a company, which not just for the compliance program, but generally had such an ethically driven message, right? It wasn't about profit or competition. Um, it was about serving a greater good. And that just must have been so amazing for you to step into that environment and go, heck, half my job is already done just from the culture and the, um, the vision that's already been established for the company. It's definitely quite unique and, mm-hmm. and, and very specific to Hershey. But, but, you know, the flip side of that is, is, you know, people come to me as a compliance person with the assumption that because that's ingrained into our, you know, purposes and great to everything that we do, that somehow we don't need um, a strong compliance program, uh, right, with strong mm-hmm. compliance um, frameworks. And I tell them, you know, we're human after all. And, what, and even if you have, you know, this embedded culture of purpose and philanthropy and being good, you know, the bigger we get, the more international footprint, the more partners we get, then, you know, you, 
it dilutes it a little bit. I'm not saying completely, right? But then you still need the parameters to ensure that people continue to do the right thing, right? Um, so it's kind of that that balance. But yes, it, it was definitely um, very different than other companies, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, but it, you know, but still, you know, we we still have the, our challenges, of course. Yeah, and that, um, that that specific challenge that you've mentioned, and I, I've talked about this on the show before, so I won't rabbit on about it, but it reminds me a little bit of how my feeling is that sometimes companies do not pay due regard to the so-called clean countries, as in the ones that um, on, on the CPI, you know, are not showing as being um, heavily um, corruption perception countries. Uh, because, you know, they're supposed to be clean. Uh, people are supposed to be so-called good. Uh, and I think that's dangerous. I think it's risky. Uh, just because you're from um, a country that may not have systemic or endemic corruption is not a good reason to to take your foot off the pedal and not care about compliance as much. And so, though it's a, a different situation, it reminds me about how Sometimes it can be easy um, to think, okay, because we're on the front foot in some way, that means that we don't have to worry about ethics and compliance as much. And that's simply not not true at all, but it gives a false sense of security sometimes. Absolutely. It, it becomes our blind spot, right, from a, from a mm-hmm. compliance perspective. And, I, and, I, and, you know, when we're doing trainings and such, I always say, um, you know, it's, it's human behavior, and, mm-hmm. and human behavior doesn't uh, it, it, it it doesn't matter whether what part of the world you're from or or how you were raised or, or anything like that. There, there's something innate human behaviors that if you don't have them in check, then you know things happen, right? It's why we have laws and mm-hmm. and and we have guidelines in all over the world, right? And I said yes, you know there are countries who have less. Um, you know, transparency, international risk, and all these things, but mm-hmm. things happen, and and, mm-hmm. and and you know, good people do bad things, or mm-hmm. good or good people make mistakes, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I always give the example of um, uh, you know, the, the, the highway and 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 having speed limits, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, we have them around the world, and and you need them to kind of. Um, you know, sort of keep track of, of, of situations. The same with compliance, right? You're getting guardrails to ensure mm-hmm. that, 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 that you are doing the right thing, mm-hmm. but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, um, you know, where you are on the world. And then I also point them to, um, the newspaper, right? In the news, I'm like, look, mm-hmm. right. In, in, in countries that you would think are less corrupt, you know, however we define it, there are still mm-hmm. scandals and things still happen. And, mm-hmm. and, and in the, it's, in, I get a lot from U.S. employees and I always say, well, have you looked at, at, at you know, what's happened in Baltimore the last couple of years? And I always say, mm-hmm. you know, X, X city, white city, right? There's no particular mm-hmm. one. Everyone has, has issue, right? There's always, you know, allegation of, of corruption here or scandal mm-hmm. here or, mm-hmm. or, 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 you know, it, it doesn't yeah. matter. It's, it's, we're all human and, 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 and the risks and mistakes are always there regardless. But I do agree with you. We have, it's, I always think it's our, it's our, it's, those indexes are great, mm-hmm. but it gives a false sense of security in, mm-hmm. in those um, regions that have low, low corruption index. 
Totally. And you shared with us as part of your introduction that you cover both compliance and data privacy in your role. How are you seeing those um, two subject matter areas intersecting and what proportion of your time do you think you dedicate to each area? I guess it depends. It depends on, on the day to day. Like, mm-hmm. um, but you know, late, lately, uh, or at least the last couple of months, um, privacy had taken a little bit of a, of a bigger role just because of what was going on um, because of the pandemic. But but typically, since both programs have to be built at the same time, and both are 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 having to be built um, during the period that with that has that there's a lot of regulation and, and governmental scrutiny. Um, you know, I, I try to focus on, on both of them as, as equally as I can, depending on, on, on the situation, but they intersect mm-hmm. because privacy is still also compliance, right? Privacy compliance, right? Complying mm-hmm. with, with um, the California Consumer Privacy Act yep. and the GDPR and, and, and biometric laws in Illinois or whatever, right? It, and, and how um, we have to ensure that our, um, that we comply with them internally and then externally our vendors and third parties and, and, and anything that touches partially complies with those laws of law. Same with compliance, right? We have to mm-hmm. look from an internal inward perspective and then outward with our supplier code of conduct and all these other things. And where they intersect is on the third party due diligence, right? Because we have to conduct third party due diligence from both a compliance perspective and a cybersecurity data privacy perspective. Um, and, and that's the, the one place I just think really quickly where we're looking at it from the same lens, right. To ensure that our third parties, um, are complying and abiding by our guidelines, uh, mm-hmm. and that, um, and that, you know, from a compliance perspective and then from a privacy and cybersecurity perspective, that because they are touching our data and our, and our consumer and our customer's data, same thing with compliance, right? They're all, they're they're talking, they're acting on behalf of us. So the mechanics of the due diligence is the same, even though we're looking at it from different vantage points. But that's where um, I see them intersecting a lot. Another um, point during during now these new normal that pandemic where they've intersected has been how we deal with um, with COVID related issues. So we are we have been in our an, an essential business. Um, and practically all over the world with the exception of a few places. But, we, you know, there was a mandate even in the United States in certain states where we couldn't close and it had, we, our, you know, our facilities had to remain open. It's not our, necessarily our corporate spaces, but, you know, where we make our product. And there, um, compliance and privacy were right at the forefront either responding to um, concerns from our workforce, right? Who, you know, mm-hmm. there's no secret. A lot of the, a lot of companies were getting uh, a lot of the COVID-related concerns through the hotline, and then having to um, work in partnership with um, our labor and employment, health and safety uh, facilities, and all that to respond to how we were going to deal with you know, all the pandemic, trying mm-hmm. to ensure that, that are, that are, that we're safe and build processes. What is compliance really great at building processes and, and, <laughs> and, 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 right. And procedures. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. they look, they, I think, you know, but in, in, in other companies that are like us in, in some of my colleagues and friends, 
we've been exchanging a lot of um, um, war stories, it's been the same. It, 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 they look to compliance to build processes because we know how to do them, right? We build processes um, to ensure that we comply with things. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from, you know, how do we ensure that, you know, that everyone is safe? How do we build protocols to, you know, to that comply with OSHA and all these other things? How do we mm-hmm. ensure that we're not, you know, we're not um, uh, intruding in someone's privacy right or health direct, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so they brought in compliance to build those processes, to help build the policies, to kind of build those frameworks like on the fly, like immediately mm. as we were dealing with the pandemic, because we never closed, <laughs> we didn't have the luxury mm-hmm. to, to remain closed and then build these on us, you know, while we were waiting for, you know, for, for the States to, to reopen. This was happening um, in real time. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, so the privacy side, since I, since I did both, I felt like it was, all, it was, you know, all in one is to ensure that as we're building these processes and, and, and procedures that we were looking at also from the lens of privacy, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Meaning uh, as we're, as we're building these, are we complying with the data privacy laws in place? Are we ensuring that we're not violating anything as we are collecting, you know, if whatever it is that we were collecting or asking for or building and that, um, you know, data retention, cybersecurity, then the, then, you know, the work from home and building those processes and procedures and, mm-hmm. and, and working to, to do that. So at least for in these particular times, in my mind, privacy and compliance are go hand in hand, but it may just be that I walked into it during a period, uh, you know, in, in our world, not even our country where, um, these two kind of really, um, were, were, were really paramount and important, Mm. um, during the pandemic period. Yeah. I, I think that there is, um, a big case to be made that the two do go hand in hand. And I, I, I don't think there is any one dominant, way of of either treating compliance and privacy as one function versus two separate functions or privacy under a different area. I saw a benchmarking survey a few years ago and the spread was really interesting. So some companies had compliance and privacy as part of the compliance function. Others had data privacy under a different area such as legal or an information security department and there was no one standout, you know, so-called way to do it. Um, There was a a variance in approach. So I think there's a lot of scope to see the two as being hand in hand, even if they're no longer separate department, uh, sorry, the, the same department. So for example, in my company, we moved from having compliance and privacy combined and privacy moved under um, our new information security department, but yet we still work together an awful lot. So even when they are split, um, that intertwining and the inherent togetherness of the two subjects, I, I don't think will ever really be taken away. Yeah, and, and, and funny enough, I'm like, you know, first I thought, uh, or some people would ask me, you know, in, you know, is this particular to a U.S. company because privacy is not at the forefront, right? And, mm-hmm. and to have compliance and privacy. But at my previous company, which was a non-U.S. Finnish mm-hmm. European company, where privacy is, um, is 
you know, they view it very differently from a U.S. perspective. Um, privacy was under compliance, was with compliance. Mm-hmm. So I had I had a lot of touch points with privacy even before coming here um, because it, we it was part of part of compliance and we worked really closely in in mm-hmm. building in in, in building um, privacy to comply with the GDPR. You know, a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. but. Um, yeah, so it's it's interesting. Every you know, there's no right, like you said, there's no right approach, and mm-hmm. and everybody does it is slightly a little bit different, mm-hmm. but um, but it is still compliant. You still got to comply with regulation, yeah. and they do they do intertwine a lot. Totally. <laughs> you mentioned um, that Hershey's is is just about everywhere, and I, I think maybe now you can even buy the chocolate in New Zealand. Uh, certainly when I was growing up, <laughs> um, you couldn't. And it was a big deal for me when I was a, um, an eight-year-old and um, my little brother and I and, and mum and dad went to the United States to, to visit family friends who lived in Pennsylvania. And we went to the Hershey factory for the tour. And it was my very first time um, being exposed to Hershey's kisses and, and very memorable. I think now... Uh, your chocolates are sold in New Zealand. Um, But with that um, huge international footprint, you are very fortunate to have an international portfolio and really strong international experience. So will you share with us, how does your approach differ when working with um, the United States business versus, um, I'm not sure I love this term, but I hear it quite a lot, rest of world. Um, How how does your approach differ? (laughs) between uh, the, the, the two uh, major geographies? You know, I, I, they, they don't. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, I, and I don't think, and I don't think they, they should necessarily, right? It, and it goes back to what we were, we were discussing earlier, that I think human behavior is human behavior no matter where in the world you are. But mm-hmm. there is a, a slightly different um you know, sensitivity to it when you're talking with, with outside, outside the U S but, but, I, but I find it that, um, my international experience works well working with, um, U S focused, you know, teams as well mm-hmm. as international teams, right? Because the, you know, having the international experience, you know, makes you appreciate the interconnectedness of everyone. Right. And, mm-hmm. and how, um, something in the U S it will have a ripple effect outside outside the U.S. and how we're really interconnected and we are not and 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 we are truly global. Um, we'll see after COVID if that remains the same, right? But um, mm-hmm. but 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 the experiences are the same. The fundamental experiences of, of of a human experience is the same, whether you are in the other side of the world in the U.S. The approaches may be different, the cultures mm-hmm. may be different, mm-hmm. but um, but I don't I don't really take it. It's, too much of a, of a, of a different approach, right? I, I think you have to be, I think my international experience has helped me to be more flexible, you know, with mm-hmm. dealing with ambiguity, more adaptable. And U.S. is a really, with the exception of certain places around around the U.S., the, there are people from all over the world. And if you're walking into mm-hmm. corporate America, you're more likely than not to meet people who all have very different experiences from you, who have very different points of view. And having grown up with that and having experienced that, it makes you more adaptable. I think you have the ability to see situations from different perspectives. You know, um, I think it also gives you more empathy and, uh, and helps you uh, uh, to be a better 
to be, to be a better communicator because you have mm. been in diverse environments and, and can tailor communications to certain audiences, especially in compliance, right? Because mm-hmm. um, you get to be more adaptable. But, you know, I, I, try, I, I, try, I try to view U.S. and international kind of the same with those kind of, adapt, you know, a, that sense of, adapt, of adaptability of tailoring mm-hmm. commu- communications to your audience, um, and to appreciate the differences that people bring. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's no secret that I have long been a fan of the Hershey Company's Code of Conduct. And incidentally, I saw a copy of the 2009 version recently and noted that it's been through a significant process of evolution since then. Um, I think it's been revised at least twice since 2009, which is best practice. And little spoiler alert, dear listener, we are going to do a deep dive on um, revamping your code of conduct as part of our fall, sorry, I should say autumn for the uh, rest of worlders out there um, uh, episode in our our cluster in quarter three. So keep an eye out for that. Um, Sonia, what are some of the things that struck you upon arrival at the Hershey Company that they seem to be really best in class on? Like I mentioned, like I mentioned, when we have when we start having the conversation, is is you know the goodness, you know, in the the desire and commitment to do good. We you know when you when we're start, I was starting doing the onboarding discussions with folks and 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 having to just you know discuss you know the, the um, compliance function and all that. There was no convincing. There, you know, there's no need to advocate or convince the fact that that we needed you know, a compliance and that we need to act ethically and that we needed to push that down because it is part, it's very integral and part of the Hershey culture, right? The, um, the doing good, that, 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 um, being good to the community, being good to your neighbor, doing the best for your customer, consumer, those kind of things was all is already part of the culture. And you can see in the code of conduct and even in our supplier code of conduct that that will, that language is embedded in, every piece of document that we push out. Right. So Mm. that commitment uh, was, was, is definitely from the top down at all levels. Yeah. That's a great one. That's really hard to beat. (laughs) So (laughs) that was a great answer. I think you're very lucky um, to, to, to be in such a, a company that, that really puts you on the front foot from a compliance perspective. So I would agree that that is an excellent feature And uh, that's all that we've got time for today, everyone. So, Sonia, thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to to bringing you back on uh, to complete your two-part series shortly. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.